welcome. And I have stepped off into the deep end. I'm going after the health board. Uh, we're addressing the, the uh, state of emergency and executive powers. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative, and I'm joined today by Jason Zachary, who represents District 14 in the Tennessee General Assembly. He's here to discuss House Bill 7, which limits the authority of health boards, not to be confused with health departments, which I'm sure Jason will explain. Uh, Jason, welcome to the program, and thanks so much for being here to speak with us about this bill, bud. Good morning, Brandon. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. So tell us about House Bill 7, you know, what it proposes and why you are sponsoring it. Uh, I know you represent an area that's very close to or in Knoxville, correct? Sure. Yes, sir. I'm in Knox County. I'm deep west Knox County. Yes, and they and they have been very vocal about the health board up there, both at the county commission level and now you're you know bringing this in on the state. Talk a little bit about why it's important and what it means. Sure. Yeah, and for and Brandon, for your viewers that don't know, uh, here in Tennessee we have 95 counties. Six of the counties have their own independent health department. And this as this pandemic began, governor declared a state of emergency. It, it, it revealed an imbalance in government and really just a, a, a error in code that needed to be corrected. TCA 68 gives enormous authority and power to the health boards in those six counties. So the governor's executive orders have only applied to the 89 counties, while the other six counties are being run by their health board slash health department, uh, Knox County being one of those. The, it's the big four, uh, Shelby, Davidson, Knox, Hamilton, and then Sullivan and Madison, basically, basically the six most populated areas in uh, Tennessee. And so what we found is TCA 68 basically gives the health board the ability to issue orders, mandates, and then function as the executive by executing those laws without our elected officials having any recourse. So our mayor, Mayor Jacobs here in Knox County, who has objected to so many of these business closures, mandates, quarantines, he's objected to almost all of them and has been fighting for the people of Knox County. He literally legally has no recourse. Uh, and, and the one thing we've discovered is that most people thought these health boards gained their power from the executive, from the state of emergency declared by the governor. And that's not the case. And that's why House Bill 7 is so important because if the governor ends his state of emergency at the end of this month, next month, whenever that is, hopefully sooner rather than later, these health boards can continue on in their oligarchy rule of our counties without the governor being able to do anything. So here in Knox County, the governor has, has in his office has stepped in a couple of times with some of the overreach of the health board to be able to stop them. Uh, specifically, they were going to try to uh, force people to wear masks during elections, which is basically a civil rights violation. Mm -hmm. You can't force people to, to do something if they're going to vote. You can't infringe on their right to vote. And so the governor's office kind of stepped in and stopped that. But if we're not under a state of emergency, the governor has no power to stop these health boards and they can continue on in quarantine, closing businesses and negatively impacting our economy, shutting people's down, pulling away their liberty. And House Bill 7 changes that. House Bill 7 simply takes the section of TCA 68 that gives the health board their authority and we're replacing the words adopt and enforce with advise. That's it. Adopt and enforce with advice. So it simply takes the health board, not the health department, 
it takes the health board and moves them to an advisory role, which is where they should be, to the county mayor. We're not saying that the counties don't need a health board, have a health board. We need medical experts to be able to walk with us. Every, every executive, whether it's a company, whether it's government, you need the experts to walk with you and provide you counsel. And that's absolutely where they should be, but they should be in an advisory role. And so House Bill 7 fixes an imbalance of government. And Brandon, the last point of House Bill 7, the second part of House Bill 7, because uh, I've got an amendment that is drafted that actually makes the bill. So the language that people see right now in House Bill 7 is not the completed bill. I have an amendment that actually makes the bill. But the second part of that, right now, the county mayor has the authority only during a state of emergency to exercise some of these powers. So that exists right now in code today. So what we're saying is that when we remove that power from the health board, we're making it really clear that the county mayor has that power, but it can only be used during a state of emergency. So we can't just at any time start quarantining people, locking people down. He has that authority today in code, and we're just making it really clear that when we pull that power from these unelected health boards, and it can't just it, it, we can't let that power just rest out nowhere because someone will actually take that power at some point. So we're making it super clear that that power only rests with the elected county mayor and that you can only use it during state of emergency. We've already had some conversations with our county commission about putting putting some parameters around uh, those executive powers with the mayor, just like we're doing in the legislature this year with the governor. Well, that is awesome. So another question I have just as a follow-up on this, and you, you seem to be Speaking the language of your constituents, I can hear that. Many conservatives in ten Tennessee have really been kind of disappointed in the legislature's lack of involvement. It's been 12, I almost want to use an expletive there. It's been 12 months, and we've had like two dudes, basically, depending on where you live, two dudes out of every, out of millions and millions of people in Tennessee, two dudes saying, based upon what I'm saying, this is a good idea for your health. And, you know, for example, like our county mayor, I mean, I wouldn't take health advice from him given his, I mean, he is a very unhealthy person. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking I don't need to be taking health advice from a county mayor uh, and, and one other person. Like I, I voted for a state rep, I voted for a state senator, I voted for county commissioners, and everyone seems to be doing kind of what we do in politics, which is let's, if it goes bad, we'll give the governor the blame. If it goes well, we'll say we were with them and they can't really follow me. And so a lot of our state reps and, and state senators have just, they've not been vocal, waited 12 months. And, and it's just, it just really, it looked like this, the legislature went in to be neutered and like they volunteered for the surgery because they've had no legislative authority for the last 12 going on maybe 14, 15 months. So does the Tennessee legislature have any plans to become a co-equal branch of government again and to put something in place so that if something like this rolls down the pike again, we won't have to wait for 12 months for people to get their courage in order to act? Because, uh, I mean, this a special session could have been called months into this, and it never was. So talk a little bit about other bills, if you can, briefly, because we've only got 15 minutes left here, and I want to respect your time. What other bills are coming through that will limit things like this happening in Tennessee again that, that really seem to be borderline unconstitutional? 
Yeah. And Brandon, that man, that is an awesome question. And you and I did not even discuss these quite. I had no, no idea before you and I jumped on what you're going to ask, but that literally is a perfect segue to another bill I'm carrying. So, man, I have stepped off into the deep end. I'm going after the health board. Uh, we're addressing the, the uh, state of emergency and executive powers. I chaired the ad hoc committee over the summer that was responsible for reviewing this. So the legislature began, the speakers got together and said, this is something we need to look at. And uh, I was appointed along with Senator Farrell Hale to uh, review and bring witnesses in. We had uh, three different ad hoc committee meetings. Uh, we had expert testimony from former Chief Justice Koch, uh, uh, former General uh, uh, Attorney General Gonzalez, who was under President Bush. Uh, we had numerous constitutional experts over a three meeting span. And I'm carrying a bill as a result of that that will do five different things. So it, it, well, let me back up. First, it's important to remember that I know there's frustration. I share the frustration of so many people, but TCA 58 was passed almost 30 years ago by the legislature, basically gives the governor unlimited authority during a state of emergency. The only thing after we walked through this for three different meetings, the only thing the governor can't do is touch our guns. And, and people kind of laugh like, well, of course it's Tennessee, but that literally with all sincerity, the only thing protected in statute under an executive power and in the state of emergency and executive powers is you can't touch our guns. So while there is some frustration, the governor has been measured and steady because he literally could have done anything he wanted to do. And so we were one of the first states to open back up on April 27th and we we're one of the last to close. And so looking at it and based on me being on so many of those calls and getting the information from Vanderbilt and these health experts, that first call we were on, we were told 250,000 Tennesseans were going to die. I mean, that's a pretty pretty sobering moment. That was back in March of 2020. And that was the first call we were on. We were at the Capitol. They'd started closing things down and they dropped that bomb on us. And so the information kept changing every couple of weeks. So it was literally an impossible situation to lead. And so um, I, I do appreciate the job our governor's done because he has been measured. Do I agree with every decision? No, absolutely not. But now to your question, to your point, there has to be some legislative engagement because we cannot, the precedent has now been set. So we cannot have emergency powers go on forever and ever, amen. So there's three different types of emergency powers. One is a security threat. One is a natural disaster, like the floods we had in Nashville in 2010. And then there's the third, which is the health crisis slash pandemic, which is what we're in now. So what we're doing is in my piece of legislation that I'm carrying that I've already filed, got the amendment ready to roll, and I'll be putting that on notice here in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're recommending five different things. We are one of 12 states that has no legislative engagement in a state of emergency. We're one of only 12. So this legislation would insert the legislature in the process. It does five different things. One, and the most basic, which most states have, it says that the legislature can terminate a state of emergency at any time through a joint resolution. So period. We at any point can terminate a state of emergency. Two, the problem becomes, and this is recommendation two, the problem for us becomes we are a part-time legislature, so we're only in Nashville uh, January through May. So the second, the second recommendation and part of this bill is that a legislative council will be formed and that the 30-day mark of a state of emergency, this legislative council can put a stay on an, on an emergency order until the full body can come back in and evaluate it. So that's if we're out of session, it gives us the option at 30 days to step in and put a stay on the state of emergency. 
Number three is that a that two is optional. Number three is that a state of emergency cannot extend beyond 60 days, period. No state of emergency can extend beyond 60 days. There's some details that go along with that, but for the sake of time, I'll leave it there. Uh, the fourth is a reporting requirement, which all our, all our, um, uh, all those who testified and provided testimony during our hearings recommended. Uh, it's a uh, reporting requirement that requires the governor to give the legislature a 24-hour notice before any executive order is issued, and then requires him to provide us why he's doing it, guidance that will follow, and then what the cost is associated with that order. So the legislature knows every step of the way exactly what's being done, why it's being done. And then the fifth and final recommendation of this bill will be that the Department of Health has to come every other week, bi-weekly, and provide in-person testimony to our government operations committee. So those are the five things that this bill does. And we basically are putting a box around the executive branch and saying that, yes, we understand that every branch has a role and the execution of the law, the Constitution, that rests with the, with the executive branch. We make the law, they execute. However, because of precedent has been set, we cannot ever again come to a point where our liberties are stripped away and businesses are made to be closed. Some businesses are deemed essential, some are not. It's, it's essential for Kroger's essential, but yet the mom and pop grocery store is not. Never again could we have that in Tennessee. And so this piece of legislation puts basically a box around that. And that, that same box is what we're recommending for the six counties with their own health board, that they also do that same thing uh, associated with their county mayors. Again, when you set a precedent like this in government, it's very hard to go back. And so now that the precedent has been set, we know this will happen again. And hopefully, God forbid, it never happens again in our lifetime, but it'll happen again. And so we as the legislature have to take the steps to ensure that we maintain our framework of ordered liberty, which is what government's role is. And that's what we're going to do with this bill. Well, buddy, I appreciate it. That's a good summary. And I, this is the whole lockdown stuff's what brought me out of my political hiding hole. I led, I'm not a protester. Hate them. <laughs> Hate them. Not my bag, not my thing, but led one on the Market Street Bridge back in March. I could see what was going to happen in March. I mean, I could look at the data. I mean, a lot of people say it's incomprehensible to know what was going to happen. I mean, I could see it. That's why we were protesting. I think a lot of a lot of this stuff, I think, was morally reprehensible that we did that were completely unequal, and we let it go on. And uh, which leads me to the next thing is, and the final question that I just have for you is, you know, boards of health, the CDC, left-leaning teachers unions, it, it pushed the narrative that kids were at risk when no data was ever there to support any of that. We were already struggling in math and reading in the basics. Now the, the kids are, you know, creeping further towards illiteracy. It's a problem we manufactured and allowed to happen and, and agitated. I mean, the problem's already there. Um, I know that we're dump as usual. We just throw a bunch of money at it. That's always the solution. We've done that again, you know, 40 years of throwing money at this thing. So, but what types of, you know, succinctly, and we'll close on this, um, what types of solutions are, uh, or is the legislature proposing and shouldn't some sort of real meaningful school choice reform be at the top of that? Because, you know, we were talking before we got on the call about your kids 2013 Ford. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes when stuff doesn't work and you take it into the shop and you take it into the shop and you take it into the shop, you start talking about buying a different type of vehicle. And educationally speaking, a different type of vehicle is for people to be able to choose. 
to flee fleeing schools. I live in a district where I can't send my children, where there's violence, drugs, it, educational performance. I don't think a single kid passed the ACT. I'm in, in an urban area in Chattanooga. And this is what we're spending $11,000 a year to, to force these kids in. And so the, the pandemic comes in um, and, and really, you know, points further, um, I guess, exposes the failures of our, our public education system. So what, what's the legislature proposing in the last two or three minutes, which is really all we have here? And, and is school choice going to see any light? And will Republicans actually fight for it? Yeah, yeah, all good questions. Uh, it, to your point, 35% of third graders are reading on grade level. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. We as Republicans have, over the last 10 years, invested roughly $1.6 billion in additional money into public education. And we're still, as of today, roughly 35% of third graders are reading on a grade level. That should be unacceptable to anyone. So school choice is a vital part of that. I was part of a controversial vote a couple of years ago related to school cho choice. I'm passionate about it. I think every parent should have a choice. It's not government. Government has no authority or role to say you have to do this. You must do this. We have the free. We should have the freedom, and Republicans should stand up for that freedom. And I don't know how this is a controversial issue. There are tax dollars, as you've said, anywhere from roughly I think ninety-seven hundred dollars, something like that, that Tennessee spends average per student. The parent who is the taxpayer for those resources for their child should have the ability to, to uh, put that child in an area, in a school, in an environment where they could thrive. But um, back to your question about what we've done, we just had a special session a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we looked at, um, uh, we looked at literary, literacy loss, a, a, a literacy program, a learning loss program. Uh, there's some things that we passed a couple of years in, which I'll skip all the details just for the sake of time. I know we'll have a couple of minutes, but uh, we passed those a couple of weeks ago. It does where it does uh, include some additional funding. Uh, it included a teacher's raise aspect. And so we we spent an entire week focused just on education a couple of weeks ago during a special session just to try to to address uh, these issues. But I think to your point, until we have a truly robust school choice program, um, it makes it, it it's one of our challenges and obstacles to kind of take that next step because of it again it when you have that school cho choice program I know people don't like to say this and most people most Republicans shy away from it but it does create competition it creates an environment where schools are striving for success to make sure they maintain their students or they're trying to make, make the next step to uh, attract students and so we just have to we have to create an environment. We have to reject the narrative of the teachers unions that tried to keep our schools closed down. We as Knox County were the biggest school system open uh, until recently, until Davidson. I believe Davidson just opened. We were the largest. We've had no issues. We did not have, we were doing transportation of all our students. Brandon, we did not have one case as of last week, not one case contact traced to a school bus. And we're transporting tens of thousands of students across Knox County. We're the largest county in the state doing it. And we've had no, virtually no issues. And we've had a school close here and there. Of course, there's been some hiccups, but in terms of just, oh my gosh, the sky is falling what the teachers unions and the TEA had proposed what happened has not happened. And schools are safe to open. Now studies are coming out. We have left and right saying that's the safest place for children to be. Kids are wearing masks. They're doing all, all these steps are being taken. Flus basically, we basically cured the flu is what it seems like. There's no flu cases. COVID cases have dropped dramatically. 
And Knox County is a model for the other metro areas to follow. And I think Hamilton's been open as well. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a priority education, healthcare are always two of the biggest things uh, that we face as a state. And so it's a priority and there'll be continued legislation moving forward as we look to address uh, so many other challenges that we've got within education. Well, Jason, we're just about out of time. I'm gonna run my little commercial here. If you'd like to support the Tennessee Conservative, if you would go to the front page, hit that red support button, we'll send you two proud Tennessee Conservative bumper stickers. Uh, for helping us get conservative news out in a state that, even though we lean red, um, is dominated almost exclusively by people who dislike our values and report on it negatively. And so, Jason, if we can ever have you back as a guest, um, you are doing something that takes a lot of courage. And that is, um, number one, wanting to constrain, which is, is, is good. It's how our founders saw a, a more perfect government you know, constraining the executive branch just as the executive branch should seek to constrain the legislature so that, that we never are again moved by passions to the degree that we have been because it has the economic, educational, psychological, and spiritual devastation that has been unnecessarily wrought, not by the disease, but by government regulation that was misguided, is, is amazingly large. And I think once the political dust settles, I know there's always a lot of revisionist history, I think people will look back at us as a culture that absolutely lost their damn minds uh, this last year. So hopefully we can get back on track to normalcy. Um, but if we can ever help you in any way, if you've got a bill that's being sponsored, any type of information you wanna get out, um, you know, we're 10,000 and growing. And uh, by the next, end of next month, we should probably be up to 15 and we'll just keep moving uh, throughout the year. And uh, we thank you for your work because it takes a lot between that and sponsoring a school choice bill. It shows that you are uh, more worried about representing your constituents than anything else, which is a rare find. And that's coming from somebody that worked in politics professionally at the state, federal and local level. So, Jason, what closing thoughts do you have for folks as we leave here? Well, as we leave, I just say be encouraged because Tennessee, we have rebounded economically in an incredible way. We're in the back in the top three in all major categories. Uh, we just were again ranked as the most fiscally stable state in the nation. So economic unemployment just plummeted from, I think it was 14, it's down to six. So economically we're moving in the right direction. We have 246,000 jobs available in the state of Tennessee right now. That's triple what we have on the unemployment roll. So if you if you're if you know somebody that's looking for employment, go to jobsfortn.org. There's 200, we as the state have listed 246,000 and there are career opportunities, not just like, hey, I need to work at Subway. It is there are real career opportunities there. So there's so much employment opportunity. So be encouraged. But Brandon, quickly the last thing I would say is that regarding schools, uh, we have to do all we can also to protect our children spiritually, physically, uh, the innocence of our children. So I've got a bill. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail right now. People can look it up under my bills on the Tennessee General, General Assembly website, but we're going to need conservatives help. It's called the Accommodations for Children's Act, and it basically protects children who are using restrooms and locker rooms in schools. And there, there is a wave coming based on a, a President Biden executive order. And we have to do what we can and be proactive and be bold as Republicans are in the supermajority to protect the innocence of our children in our schools. And so I've got a bill to do that. We tried to pass it five or six years ago and couldn't get any traction because they said it wasn't an issue. 
Trump was president. So that kind of it kind of went away. It's we're, we're, it's full frontal now. And we also have uh, chairman last name. Chairman Sapicki has got a bill right now kind of along those lines um, that ensure that uh, uh, boys and girls are playing sports in their 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 they're participating in sports associated with their sex at birth. And so that just passed subcommittee last week. It'll go to, since we're basically going to be shut down this week, it'll go to full committee next week. So people need to be paying attention to those, Brandon, because we are a conservative state. So we got to pass conservative legislation, put some of this stuff to bed that we don't have to, we shouldn't have to worry about this in Tennessee. So please be engaged. Go to the Tennessee General Assembly website, reach out to your state rep, to your state senator. These issues matter because we got to do all we can to firewall and protect Tennessee from the the absurd federal overreach that we're seeing right now. I agree, Jason. Buddy, I'm, I'm, we're just glad to have you on the program. Uh, we thank you for all the, the hard work that you're doing and, and fighting it, when it's not always easy and it's not always convenient. Uh, going along to get along is is the easiest way to to stay in politics, but it is not it is not a good way to make it. And so if you represent your, your constituents, you'll always make it. Uh, Jason, thanks so much. I'm Brandon Lewis with the Tennessee Conservative, signing off.